Welcome to the Solidarity Winnipeg podcast. Solidarity Winnipeg is working to lay the basis for an eco-socialist political organization. By that, we mean we are a small group of like-minded people who work in a coordinated way in community groups, in unions, and on campuses to build grassroots power, to educate people, to be effective eco-socialist organizers, and to build support for the long-term goal of breaking with capitalism and starting a transition to eco-socialism. Because Winnipeg is located on Treaty 1 territory, we acknowledge that Treaty 1 is the homeland of Anishinaabe, Cree, OG Cree, Dakota, Dene peoples, and the Métis Nation. The Canadian state has carried out genocide, ethnic cleansing, and forced removal of Indigenous people in order to clear the land for settlement by Europeans. The colonization and oppression of Indigenous peoples is not a thing of the past. It continues today. But around the world, Indigenous peoples are leaders in the fight against capitalism and environmental destruction. We have a lot to learn from Indigenous cultures and teachings that will help us heal our relationship with the land and with each other. Welcome, everybody. It is 4.21 p.m. on November 1st, and that's 21 minutes after the bargaining deadline has lapsed um, for UMFA's labor negotiations with administration at the University of Manitoba. UMFA stands for the University of Manitoba Faculty Association, um, which is a union that is now on strike as of this recording. So we're here to talk about how we got there, um, what we can expect, and how we can go forward from this. So maybe we will introduce ourselves. Ruby, would you be okay introducing yourself first? Yeah, sure. I can I can lead off. Uh, I'm Ruby Warren. I am a member of the University of Manitoba Faculty Association's uh, executive team and board of reps and 15 other subcommittees or what have you. Uh, I am also a user experience librarian at the University of Manitoba, and I've been an UMFA member for seven and a half years now, I think. Something around that. Great, thanks. David, would you like to introduce yourself? Sure. I'm David Camfield. I'm also an UMFA member. I'm also a member of Solidarity Winnipeg. Uh, I should add that neither uh, Ruby nor I are speaking on behalf of UMFA. Uh, we're speaking in this uh, on this episode in personal capacity. Thank you. Unsanctioned. <laughs> Um, and I'm Travis Uni. Um, I'm a student. I'm a second year fine arts student. Um, and I'm also an organizer with students supporting UMFA. Um, and this is a group that has formed very recently um, with the intention of supporting UMFA in this um, process of negotiating their collective bargaining agreement. Um, so first to kick things off, I'll just ask the group, what has caused this strike? Uh, well, so that's a, a long, annoying answer, um, really, because you have to kind of start with the context, which is in 2016, um, while we were bargaining, um, the government that had just come in uh, just sort of leaned really heavily and hard on the university and said they needed to withdraw their uh, their salary offer that they had to us on the table. Um, the university failed to tell us about that. Uh, it wound up being an unfair labor practice thing that the union won um, in court later. Uh, but the long and the short of it is uh, 
the government was implementing a wage freeze on the university uh, that they were then going to sort of make up a law about and try and force all the public sector employees uh, to adhere to. That's called the public services sector no the public services sustainability act that's it thank you the acronym is the pssa it comes up a lot in public sector uh, union circles um and that was saying that uh we could not have our salaries raised by more than a minuscule amount i believe it was zero zero uh point five and david what was the last number it was zero zero Point seven five and one for the f- percentage increases over four years. That's it. That's the stuff. Uh, Umpha was forced to abide by this, uh, mainly because even though they never really put this law into action, uh, the law had a bunch of nasty stuff in it, saying it if, that if they ever did, you know, enact the legislation, if they chose to do that retroactively, uh, um, public sector institutions would be forced to comply, which means that workers uh, would have any pay raises in excess of it uh, clawed back, etc. So because of that, and because of the government's continuous leaning on uh, the University of Manitoba bargaining team for administration and negotiators, uh, UMFA wages haven't really been allowed to increase since uh, 2016 uh, by anything substantial. And that means that we have fallen behind inflation by a lot. Uh, Our university president, uh, while he was doing a sort of apology tour for not being allowed to give us money uh, last year, uh, he publicly acknowledged that, uh, in his opinion, we were at least 8% below where we should be as far as compensation. And that's where we're at. That's uh, part of what's helped put us at the very bottom of our comparable universities that are big research institutions. And uh, it's kind of hit a breaking point where we can't we can't hire new faculty uh, as easily to replace people who leave. And the people who are working here are a lot of them are looking for uh, jobs elsewhere because they can get paid more to be a professor at other universities all across Canada, and uh, they'd like to be paid more for their work. I'll just add that last year, uh, when UMFA was negotiating simply on the issue of pay, it's it's called a a reopener clause that was there in the last year of the the previous collective agreement that allowed it to be opened up just to negotiate on, on pay, uh, and we again were forced to take zero percent. Um, and in fact, what happened was the um, employer gave offered zero percent, and then a one-time only so-called COVID stipend, like a lump sum payment. Um, and because the government had said give zero, and we really mean give zero, they ended up punishing the university by clawing back money from the University of Manitoba equal to the amount that the employer had paid out in those stipends. So. Um, that was an additional year of a, of a full wage freeze that um, people have, have taken. And I think that we have to put this in the, the broader context that even though the, you know, the Public Service Sustainability Act was initially struck down in the courts as unlawful, and then the government won an appeal on that, um, you know, they've, had, they've been able to hold down wages in, and, uh, in the public sector in Manitoba, and they are intent on continuing to do that, I think. And, you know, we saw that last fall with uh, with that zero. And we see that with the government's interference uh, in this round of bargaining. Maybe you could say a little bit about that, Ruby. Uh, yeah, the well, the government interference continues. It's a, it's a constant 
team. Um, uh, they have given a mandate to the university um, that they are not to raise our salaries or compensation levels beyond a certain amount, um, which is quite low. Uh, I can't confirm exactly what that amount is um, because we haven't been told. We've simply been told that they have a general mandate from the government and that it is quite a strict mandate. Uh that they dare not deviate from, uh, but it's uh, it's quite low. It's below inflation. It certainly doesn't make up for what we've lost, and uh, it's become clear through the mediation process we just went through and through negotiating with our employer prior to that um, that that mandate that exists uh, and is weighing heavily. Um, they have no intention of moving from what the government has told them. They want them to do so yeah that's basically the situation and i guess this brings up the question uh why should people who are not umfa members support this strike well um i guess i'll i'll jump in there um the idea of the the government coming in um interfering in our right to gather with our fellow workers to uh advocate for ourselves with our employer in favor of the employer which is really what it is when they say that there's a mandatory wage freeze or what have you um and saying that the workers can't have uh a fair or just rate of compensation both according to comparators and according to what the university can afford because the university can afford um everything that the unions asked for an increased compensation. That's not in question. When the government comes in and says, you can afford that, but you can't give it to them, they're taking away the power we have as a union, as workers, uh, to advocate for ourselves, to negotiate for anything at all, to represent each other. Um, so people who are just generally interested in your average worker, your working class person, your non-capitalist having uh, having the opportunity to advocate for themselves, having the chance to improve their conditions, um, they should be behind UMFA in this. Um, because allowing this to happen to any group of workers, allowing some, allowing a hostile government to step in and say, you are not allowed to advocate for yourselves. I am telling your employer to intentionally give you a bad deal or ignore your requests and not bargain or negotiate with you. That helps set a precedent that continues to inform how courts and how the public and how future governments feel that they can treat workers and unions uh, just in perpetuity. Well, Travis, would you like to talk about this, this from the student perspective? Yeah, for sure. Um, I think that this is a really big issue that that students need to pay attention attention to because in most cases, the reason that people are in post-secondary education is because they are about to enter the workforce um, or they want to have like a leg up in the workforce, at least. And it's really important that students understand that that this directly impacts us. The, the, the work, the workforce as it is right now is like you kind of mentioned, Ruby, it's it can be hostile uh, when the government is, you know, anti-worker, anti-union. And when we see an opportunity uh, to show support for workers, especially something so high profile like this, we, it's, it's just an educational moment where we could understand why this is happening and how it affects us. And also uh, for students in particular, this directly affects us like in a really practical way. Like, you know, class sizes are, 
are large uh, because there aren't enough faculty to go around. Uh, people are waiting on wait lists for a ridiculous amount of time for classes that they need uh, in order to graduate. And, you know, with better working conditions for faculty, this improves the experience of of being a student. And it's also just, you know, degrading to be in an environment where you're seeing your professors, instructors, and librarians like that you, you know, you look up to, you see how they're treated by administration and by the government, and it doesn't really set you up to want to succeed. Um, so people should take this opportunity to, you know, pick a side and take the side of the, the worker who's being oppressed at the moment. So here's something that comes up when we talk about the you know leading issue in this dispute, and that's uh, the question of whether people on the left should really be supporting raises for workers who are already paid a lot more than most workers. What would be your responses to that? Well, I can understand why someone would have that reaction at first, um, but pretty quickly you realize that it doesn't matter what someone is paid if if they're still a worker and they're you know being told what to do by their employer. Um, like if if someone who has the the leverage and you know societal status of of a university professor can't get the control over their working conditions that they you know want and deserve uh, because their employer is you know taking sides with the government uh, to force their hand, that is not good for any workers at all. Um, it doesn't matter what your salary is. Um, how could you expect if you're a, you know a grocery store worker? How could you expect to have any control over your work if someone that's making a lot more money than you um, and, you know, has closer ties with, with their employer, if they can't get that, then how are you going to be able to achieve that? Ruby, do you have anything to add about that? Uh, I suppose another thing to keep in mind um, is the perspective of um, it can be easy to feel like, well, that person receives more than me. Therefore, um, they must be receiving more than is fair. Um, and it's a very natural response to sort of feel a resentment if somebody is getting something that's closer to fair than you are. But at the end of the day, um, higher paid union members or workers, um, them receiving less of the profits of an institution like the university, like for example, um, if if we are not being paid more as higher paid workers for UMFA, that money isn't redistributed to the lower paid union workers at the university, which is something that I could get behind if that was the case, if they were saying, oh, we've taken zero, but in return, uh, ACs and QP or whatever are getting like 10%, 12% increases, uh, I would be all over that. But that's not what happens. What happens is that money instead goes to the managerial administration, people that run the business that is the university, or it goes to uh, purchasing buildings so that the university can be a landlord and further the capitalist dream. So a good, a leftist who's understanding the full perspective, uh, I think can see how it's not very black and white, that just because somebody is maybe making more than your average working class person, uh, that doesn't necessarily mean that it's wrong or unjust for them to receive a raise commensurate with inflation or whatever. Yeah. And just to build off of your point about the money not being redistributed to other workers at the university, that's, that's a really great point. And then on the flip side, you know, if if UMFA is able to win in a, in this type of negotiation, 
that actually set the precedent for all those other university employees to get raises. Like if the next time that, that QB is um, negotiating their contract, um, which, you know, covers a lot of workers on campus, if they can point to UMFA as a, you know, success story, that's really important. So that's just another reason why, why non-UMFA uh, people should be supporting UMFA. And then if I could just make one more point here. Sometimes people, at least students that I've I've been talking to, um, they get a bit confused about how to be anti-capitalist in this situation where they might view professors that are making a certain amount of money as, as capitalists and that it would actually be anti-capitalist to take a stance, you know, um, against them getting a raise. But it's important to understand that professors are still workers. Like they're, just because they make a certain amount of money, it doesn't make them capitalist. So, you know, having a broader understanding of, of the class dynamics in this is really important. Yeah, I think those are really great points you both made. Certainly the, you know, the support staff, academic support staff at U of M who are a union called ASES, A-E-S-E-S, uh, they're, I believe, currently without a contract or their contract has, you know, expired. They're not actually in bargaining, but they, I think, could be. Uh, and they, they certainly, you know, you know, if, if, if UMFA does well, then it's, you know, hopefully inspire them, uh, raise their expectations. And in, in general, you know, expectations for so many people have been lowered and lowered and lowered in recent decades. It just feeds into that resentment against, you know, lower paid against higher paid people, right? Um, and so that's, I think, the, the climate in which this kind of question comes up. And of course, it's true. And Ruby and I know this uh, better than most. In a different episode, we could talk about it more. But there, you know, there's a lot of elitism among UMFA members. There are lots of problems. We're not uh, pretending that they're not there and in terms of the conscious consciousness of people in, in the union um but oh, that yeah. <laughs> yeah uh that uh you know that doesn't in any way um you know mean that it's good for other workers if umfa does badly in in this round and i guess that just takes us to the question about the you know the consequences right if, if umfa wins it raises expectations for other workers at the university but also potentially beyond and the flip side of that's also true um if umfa is unable to break the uh, the government mandate on uh, compensation, then that sets a bad precedent for public sector workers. And we should keep in mind that there's a very large group of public sector workers in Manitoba uh, who are in negotiations and heading towards a possible strike. And that's health support workers, all the kinds of support workers in hospitals, and I believe long-term care facilities as well, who are uh, members of the Canadian Union of Public Employees. Uh, they are uh, in negotiations. And, you know, so this is all the people who do cleaning and, you know, food and all that kind of stuff in laundry and so on in, in hospitals. And uh, there are 18,000 of them. And they're, from the perspective of the government, I think, a much bigger challenge than, than UMFA is. I mean, an UMFA strike is high profile and affects a lot of people uh, because of all the students. But later this year, uh, that uh, QP Health support workers uh, negotiations and potential strike that could arise there as they're going to be trying to uh, improve the contracts of uh, groups of workers that were merged into QP through the forced amalgamation of bargaining units that this government organized. Um, you know, if, if UMFA does badly, that doesn't help them um, when they're going to be up in their negotiations. But if UMFA does well, it's, you know, hopefully emboldens other public sector workers a little bit. So maybe we should just turn our attention to the broader issue of what this government has been doing to universities in Manitoba. Do either of you want to say something about its record since it got elected in 2016? I mean, it's not a good record. 
I honestly, I don't have, I would need to look at a reference point for a lot of the particulars um, for the exact amounts or uh, things that it's done. But I do know that they have attempted to uh, cut budgets. They have uh, consistently interfered with our governance. Um, they've very recently just sort of unilaterally decided on a very short time frame that, oh, the university should have uh, hundreds more nursing spots. So figure that out, guys. You need to do that right now when we don't have the planning or the infrastructure. Uh, we didn't have that ready to go. Um, they're also looking at introducing uh, legislation uh, to try and basically push further into how the university is run into turning the university in this province into more of a professional school. The agenda being like, oh, well, your funding should be tied to how many people you churn out that meet certain um, market preferences um and all of this kind of stuff uh it's it's a lot it's a lot and it's uh it's not great it's not great yeah i think that's exactly right they they did pass what was called bill 33 which is this law that uh, allows the government to actually you know set the tuition levels in a differential way you know depending on what faculty we're talking about or potentially even particular departments and programs so they could do what's been done by some aggressive neoliberal governments, for example, in Australia, and really spike up tuition in programs that they believe are not producing people um, that the, the labor market, in other words, employers want. Um, and so that would be a way of trying to steer students towards certain majors um, and away from, from others. And that 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 is the real you know next step of the drive to to reorganize post-secondary education in Manitoba that we'll, you know, I think we'll, we will be up against next year. Uh, they've, they've already, you know, they've cut some of the funding that they've made a cut to the provincial grant last year. They'll probably do the same thing um, in 2022, along with this, you know, very insidious uh, reorganization of trying to so-called align universities and colleges even more with the labor market than they currently are. There was a great meme about this that was produced by students supporting UMFA. Uh, people should look that up on their on their socials. <laughs> it was a, a Trojan horse meme. Memes, yeah. legendarily good for audio format. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we can link to it. Um, yes, and as, as also, as far as how this connects to the strike, um, the PC government in specific, one thing to note is that um, a new premier or a new leader of the uh, the sitting uh, PC party in Manitoba was um, decided just this past weekend. So that's Heather, Heather Stephenson. And with the strike, like there, it sort of provides a bit of an angle um, for pro lampa people to take where, um, you know, people are pretty aware of this terrible legacy that the PC government has had with universities in Manitoba. Um, and that's very associated with our former premier, Brian Pallister. Um, so when you have a new person coming in to fill that role, um, they might be, you know, trying to distance themselves from a bit of that, that legacy. So it provides some leverage um, for people to, you know, push this new premier, Heather, Heather Stephenson, in a new direction. Even if the party is set in its ways, uh, you know, it gives just a slightly bit more leverage. And so does the infighting going on inside the PC party of Manitoba right now, which is wonderful to see, given their, uh, you know, Stephenson's 51% win over Shelley Glover's 49%. 
um, I'm claiming no responsibility for this, uh, but it's very, it's a very helpful coincidence. Definitely. Timing's everything. Yeah. All right. Um, so we've talked a little bit about this specific situation and the current reality of universities and uh, how they're run and what's happening to them, et cetera. But um, to take a bit of a more uh, utopian utopian view, I guess, uh, what is a socialist vision for universities? What should we be fighting for even as we're also fighting for you know these worker benefits etc to change the institutions ourselves as leftists well one thing i mean we can start by recognizing that what we're up against is a vision to restructure the university further along neoliberal lines right to try to uh, make it more and more even more than it already is uh, about preparing people for the for the labor market to be the kinds of workers that employers want as interpreted by the government and university administrators at a particular time. Um, and you know, employers want workers they don't have to train. They want employers who will, you say they want workers who will show up um, with the right knowledge, skills, and attitudes. Uh, and uh, it's also, this, this neoliberal vision is also about further restricting uh, this, any kind of space for critical reflection on society that still, you know, might be flickering, um, you know, that, that little bit of flame that could be still flickering inside these institutions, the universities, uh, even though there's not much of that left. And so if that's what we're up against, we can't respond by simply trying to defend some vision of the university as it existed in the past. You know, the alternative to the neoliberal vision is not to say things were wonderful in the 60s uh, and we should, or the 70s, and we should try to make universities more like that because universities at that time were also trying to, you know, produce people for the capitalist job market as well as to prepare people to be uh, citizens uh, of liberal democracies at that time. And they were you know, deeply marked by all different forms of oppression and, and by class division. And you know, there were certainly lots of links to you know, corporations and um, governments and so on at the time. So we shouldn't have a rosy-eyed vision of the past and defend that or kind of harken back to that. I think we need an alternative vision, um, which starts by opposing the, the neoliberal vision, like opposing what the provincial government wants to do to post-secondary institutions, but pushes for a different kind of uh, university education in a different kind of society. And in the short term, that means opposing tuition increases, and it means opposing things that restrict students' choice. I mean, the pressures of everyday life under capitalism and the job market aren't pressure enough on students, right? Um, you don't need more of those things being amplified by the way the institution is set up. And we need to fight for whatever measures of, of equity and democracy we can fight for within the institution, even if they're small and, and fragile. But I think we can try to, to do this, engage in, in that fight through student organizing and, and worker organizing in a way that points to the, the vision of a university that's run democratically by the people who study and work in it. I think that should be our vision. That was something that certainly came out of student movements in the 60s and 70s, you know, the idea of student worker control over the institution. And so that the people who actually, you know, do the work and, and do the learning in the institution would, would shape it. And that's, you know, an alternative to simply asking for a better funded version of the same institution or, you know, a better funded version of the institution on the lines that it might have had some decades in the past. Those are a couple of thoughts. Travis, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think the point about students um, recognizing their the control they have is really important. Um, I think it can 
being a student in this time, I mean, I've, I've never been a student in another era, but it, it does feel um, not far off from, from just other, you know, consumerist capitalist things in, in life. Um, you know, you, you pay for your courses and you, you consume them and then it's over. And I think that most people don't really recognize the power uh, that we have as, you know, stakeholders in, in the university as a business, but also just, you know, things like student groups, associations, clubs, and student union, like those things could be a lot more uh, powerful and inventive than they currently are. Um, they're At the moment, they're, you know, they tend to be seen as sort of resume builders, but they could really be places uh, for, you know, organizing and, and learning and educating each other, um, which, you know, then it, for socialists, that's a very valuable um, experience in itself. Um, and if if the university was made up of more of those types of organizational um, structures, that would be, you know, more in that direction of a, a socialist vision, I think. Ruby, what do you have from your perspective? Any other thoughts about this kind of thing? Uh, I mean, I'm fully on board with the, with the two of you. Absolutely. Uh, I think that a socialist vision of a university should be a public good uh definitely not a landlord can i add that to our list (laughs) (laughs) definitely not a landlord uh a money-making enterprise uh can never it, it can never be an actual full public good when an institution is making is working to make a profit even if that is just to you know build another prettier campus building um we need to significantly revamp everything about how universities work i think in order to have them be good socialist institutions unfortunately um they don't let me run the world yet i guess but we'll get there yeah, and I think it's important to to talk about this uh, at a time when people's horizons have been lowered so much, uh, because of course it's going to be necessary to oppose what this government wants to do to the universities as they actually exist. But you know, if we don't also connect that to uh, the idea of the university in the service of society and the service of people's needs, um, it can seem to be you know just defending a series of archaic institutions or you know being backwards looking we do need to have uh you know our feet on the ground in the present but also i think a, a vision that can guide some of the demands for an alternative that we put forward so let's talk in practical terms then about what uh, people who want to support the strike can do starting with students travis yeah well one thing they could do is get involved in students supporting umpa um so that's a group as i mentioned earlier that was started based around this um these negotiations it's uh sort of a multidisciplinary uh, organization. So on one hand, we're we're trying to keep students updated as much as possible on on what's going on because there's a lot of confusion, especially when people don't have uh, you know a framework for for how these types of negotiations typically work. Um, so if people want to support the strike, they could look to this group as you know a source of information. Um, but also we're organizing um, actions and, you know, trying to support UMFA when they will inevitably have their own actions and people can get involved with that. And it's sort of set up in a way where where everybody is skill sharing and, and trying to um, build new leaders out of this um, there's a lot of people on campus that maybe don't have organizing experience, but have a lot of passion um, 
and, you know, all sorts of skills from, from their studies and their own experiences. And so this group is sort of a hub for people that want to get involved to get in and make some positive change. Um, so that's one thing that they could do. And could you give the website address and tell people where they uh, can find uh, students supporting on, on social media? For sure. Um, so the website is just ssumfa.ca, so studentsupportingumfa.ca. Uh, from there, you can find all our various social medias. I won't spell them out here because they were created in a, a bit of a hasty fashion, so they don't all match up nicely with their, their uh, various handles. Uh, so if you go to that website, you can find the links to the Instagram, the Twitter, and uh, they're, all of the different platforms are very active. So get on there and... Um, read what, what we have to say and, you know, get in the, the conversation, as they say. Great. Yeah. And there's certainly going to be actions coming up that students can be involved in. Um, and then, yeah, I guess there's also the question about people who are not U of M students. Ruby, do you want to say something about what people can do in terms of Omphus picket lines and so on? Yeah. Um, so our picket lines are COVID safe. So uh, we've kind of limited them to uh, people who are double vaccinated and can demonstrate that they are and uh, are masked and uh, all of that good stuff. Um, so while we would love to see you out saying hi at the picket lines and waving, uh, joining a regular picket line. Uh, uh, may not be the best plan unless you want to stand at like a, a, a weird distance uh, for now. Um, we will be having rallies. I believe there will be a rally planned for Friday of this week at the legislature. Legislature is great because it's huge. There's a ton of space. So we'd love to see people come out to that. If you can watch the UMFA Twitter account uh, to be given a heads up about when that's happening. Hang on. I'm just pulling up the old Twitter at because I always get it wrong when I try and say it off the top of my head. And uh, yeah, that would cause a problem. My communications people would not like me. At umfa, U-M-F-A underscore faum, F-A-U-M on Twitter. Uh, that's a good place to see that info and find out when the latest thing you could join in on is coming up. Um, you could also find out from the umfa Facebook presence, uh, that kind of thing. Um, We'd love to see people out at those rallies coming up. We should have one Friday. There will be a bunch of demonstrations uh, next week when the reading week is happening. So those will be coming up there too. Uh, talking about us, supporting us online, um, leaving a positive comment in the uh, in the dregs of the CBC minds would be absolutely wonderful. Um, it really raises the spirits of some of our members who are like, you know, moths to a flame. They must read the CBC comments. Um, additionally, what would be a huge help is uh, anybody that feels strongly about supporting UMFA, anybody that wants the strike to end, uh, if they could call uh, the new premier's office uh, and let her know that she should remove the government mandate on the University of Manitoba and let us bargain with our employer. Uh, that would be a big help. We'd love to hear that happening any and all times. Uh, her office phone number is 204-945-3714. Uh, if you could give her a call and let her know you wanted to end, that would be wonderful. Additionally, uh, you could give a, a call 
to President Benarash's office or an email and let them know that you would like them to tell the government to maybe back off, back off a little bit and give us a fair deal and a fair contract. So uh, I'll just grab Benarash's office number here for people. Uh, he can be reached at 204 474 9345. And uh, gumming up those phone lines, the big deal, the big help. Another thing that students could do via our website um, is there's a tool where you can write a letter um, or sign a petition. It's kind of the same thing. Um, but they could basically um, send a message quite literally to members of the, the PC government um, and also um, like their own MLA um, and also the president of the university. And they could say um, from their perspective as a student why they want the strike to end and for the government to remove the mandate. Um, so, so far, we've had quite a lot of students send in those letters by our website. And so it's just good to know that that those messages are being sent out to the uh, various people that have power to uh, resolve this, whether they're reading them or not. Um, and then the other thing that students could do is via our website, they could submit testimonials um, about their own experiences um, as students and why they support UMFA. Um, at this time. And we've been sharing those testimonials uh, via our social media. And I'll just throw in too that people who are not students at U of M, you know, anything you can do essentially to put pressure on the provincial government and show your support for UMFA would be good. So there are lots of creative possibilities if people want to, you know, do an action at the local Tory MLA's office uh, or come to one that UMFA's organized or just do it yourself with people that you know. Uh, you know, anything that you can do to apply pressure on this government in a way that's clearly supportive of UMFA would be helpful. And there are lots of ways people can do that. Okay. Well, I just want to thank you both for being here um, to talk about this. Uh, I know it's, it's a little bit exciting right now because it's, it's been a long day of meetings for both of you. And uh, at least we know now for sure that the strike is happening. So it's time to move forward and hopefully this um, this episode can give people some insight um, and, you know, start some some more bigger picture conversations about why this is happening and where we can go forward from it. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Solidarity Winnipeg podcast. If you'd like to learn more about who we are and what we do, you can check us out on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Solidarity Winnipeg. But really the best way to keep in touch and follow what's happening in Winnipeg is to sign up for our newsletter at www.solidaritywinnipeg.ca. If you want to reach out to us directly with questions or comments, you can send us an email to info at solidaritywinnipeg.ca.